Hi, and thanks for tuning in to Public Safety Now on Hexagon Radio. I'm your host, John Whitehead, Vice President of Sales for U.S. Public Safety here at Hexagon Safety and Infrastructure Division. We've had several conversations over the last few months really about public safety, all of the changes and all of the unusualness, I'll say, if that's a word, uh, within 2020 that, that, that's been affecting us. And we've talked a little bit about mental health and we've talked about, you know, why that that's important as public safety, whether it's frontline dispatchers, uh, police, fire or EMS, why that's important to, to just to keep our mental health on track. Uh, today, we have Dr. Michelle Lilly. She's an associate professor of clinical psychology at Northern Illinois University. And I'm excited today really just to talk to her a little bit about this. Uh, welcome, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Doing well, right? You know, it's a, it's, it's an interesting <laughs> year for all of us, isn't it? It's, uh, it's, it's one of those things where and it's it's almost starting to sound cliche, but you know I don't think anybody could have predicted this when we started off 2020, where we would be at in October, and just the craziness that's occurred this year. Yeah, it's been it's been one thing after another, and um, you know, and it doesn't seem as though it's going to be ending, you know, tomorrow. So this is a kind of prolonged uh, state of kind of heightened uh, stress and arousal that everyone's experiencing together. I, I laugh because I talk to I talk to my friends that are in uh, the, the fire service and, um, you know, we say things like, you know what, I'm just over this. I'm just done. Let's just let's just move on. But the fact is, I think you're right. It, it's not just it's not that easy. I think that, that we are going to be in this in this craziness for a little bit. And and maybe the craziness is just going to become the norm. Right. Oh, geez. Let's hope not. You know, when people say this is the new normal, I just say. Oh, wow. I, I don't know. <laughs> if that is the case, then I might, you know, move off the map, move off the grid for a while. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where that island is that I can run yeah. to, but it's uh, it's sounding better and better every day. So, Absolutely. well, Dr. Michelle, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, kind of the journey and, and you know, why is, is, as an associate professor uh, of psychology, what brought you into mental health with the 911 community? Yeah. So when I was doing my doctoral work at University of Michigan, uh, one of the projects that I worked on was with retired police officers with Dr. Namdi Pohl, who's now out at Smith College. And I really loved working on that project. Uh, My role was to assess for PTSD and, you know, mostly just kind of a research tech, but I really enjoyed working with the retired officers. And then when I started my position at Northern Illinois, one of the first projects I started was to continue working with uh, survivors of uh, intimate partner violence, domestic violence. And I don't know that I ever thought I would get back into public safety, but I wanted to. Um, so one day I was talking to a woman who worked in my lab. She was a non-traditional student um, who was a research assistant. Uh, and we started talking about law enforcement. And I was talking about this project that I had worked on with retired law enforcement. And she was she was kind of laughing. We we're kind of talking about cops and how they're a unique breed. And then she said, oh, my husband's a cop. And I was like, oh, geez, I hope I didn't like just totally put my foot in my mouth. Because <laughs> um, we were being kind of snarky, you know, like a little bit like, oh, Joe cop, you know, like, but but I love cops, right? Um, and so um, so we had the conversation that ended. A couple of days later, she came back and she said, I don't know that I've ever told you this, but um, I was a 911 dispatcher for seven years before I came back to school. And I said, oh, interesting. And I'm like, you didn't tell me that. And she goes, no, I, you know, I didn't really think about it, which I think is telling in and of itself, right? That I think 911 oftentimes just 
you know, the, the kind of ethos is, are we part of the public safety family? Or are we not, you know? And so we were um, kind of talking about that. And then she said, I looked through the databases and I did not find a single empirical article on mental health and wellness in 911. Hmm. And I just thought that's, that can't be. And then she starts telling me about the job, which I'm sure most people in um, the public don't truly understand how incredibly taxing it is, uh, the task demands associated with it, the high level of re uh, recurrent exposure to trauma. Um, and so I just said, we, you know, we need to do a project. She was, you know, I think the project was actually her idea. And I was like, yep, we're going to run with this. Um, she leveraged some of her contacts uh, from the um, 911 space. And then we did our first project with about 170 911 folks from across the country. Uh, we found about um, three and a half to five percent were screening positive. Um, three and a half to five percent were screening positive for PTSD. And we're kind of like, mm, we kind of suspect that that is a measurement issue. So I went back and did a large scale study with over 800 telecommunicators from across the country. And in that study, what we found is about 17 to 25% screen positive for PTSD and about 20 to 25% screen positive for major depression. Yeah. Um, I had no idea the impact that this would have. Um, when we published that very first study in 2012, uh, there was a lot of media coverage. We were pretty instantly invited to go to a number of conferences, both at state level and uh, national level conferences, APCO, NINA. Uh, and the level of gratitude and appreciation people had for this work was really overwhelming to me. I mean, I'm an academic, so I'm used to people reading like none of my articles, <laughs> you know, like they yep. sit there, like maybe 10 people read them. Um, and so to have people outside of academia asking for a copy of the paper was just really, um, was really eye opening for me. And it shows, I think, that that the the need is there. It's interesting that yeah. you know you you and your your fellow researcher uh, who who used to be a dispatcher, you know, when she came in and said that, right? That there's not a lot of you know peer reviewed articles out there on on the the effects that occur in dispatch. I think that that is a I think that's indicative. You said that was back, you know, in the early 2000s, I'm guessing. And, you know, your paper comes out in 2012. I think that that was that, that really still shows even today kind of where dispatch fits within public safety. Uh, yeah. I, I've said it on this show a few times, but just for your knowledge. Right. I come from a dispatch background, uh, started in the mid 90s and, um, you know, wore the headset and rode the chair for years. And. While I look back on it and say it's, you know, it's a sense of pride for me to be able to say that I was able that I did that. It's definitely interesting to see how much ha things have changed, but at least on the mental health side, how much things have not changed. Um, you know, I, I jokingly say that the the public doesn't know this, with the exception of you know years ago, uh, what was it, Rescue Nine One One, you know, with William Shatner. Uh, some friends of mine coined the phrase uh, William Shatner is the Antichrist of 911 because he made it look like everybody had magic and that, that they would quickly solve problems. And within a couple minutes, your grandma <laughs> would be just fine. Um, you know, but that that's really what the public knew um, right. as far as what they dealt with. It was it, it's always kind of been um, the, the unknown, the unknown vertical, if you will, within public safety. Um, so I'm excited, just like I said, to, to hear a little bit about what some of the things that you found, but it is amazing to me, 25% PTSD, 25% uh, 
uh, major depression. As we look around a room in a dispatch center, one out of every four has this. And it's not on, I mean, it's not really something that's in most policy manuals and, and on the tongues of most administrators at this point. Yeah, I mean, I do think that the culture around this is, is certainly changing. Um, so when I when we presented at a conference um, for the first time in 2012, we went to APCO um, in Minneapolis. And me and Heather, who's a co-author and a fellow researcher, we presented this and there were like maybe 12 people who came. It was mm. in this huge room and it was like, um, and then subsequently, I think the next year in 2013, I presented again, at, um, I can't remember if it was APCO or Nina, but um, it was a, a chilly crowd. I mean, I got a lot of kickback and there were people kind of sitting there with their arms crossed and getting kind of grilled um, on the research. Uh, and I remember at that time thinking, like, I don't know that I want to continue doing this, right? Even though, you know, <laughs> yeah. conversely, there were other folks who were like, this is amazing. This needs this needs a spotlight. Um, and so, um, but I, you know, continued. I persisted. Um, and now, you know, you go to a conference and you're seeing more and more dispatchers speaking up and talking about their own PTSD. So we have uh, Tracy Eldridge, um, yep. who works for Rapid SOS, and we have uh, Nicole Janey, who's still working within the 911 space um, in Chelsea. And so, you know, we have people talking about their PTSD and their journey through it. Um, you know, we have uh, Ricardo Martinez, who does the Within the Trenches podcast. And while it's certainly not just focused on PTSD, um, you know, there's more discussion about the inherent um, kind of psychological and emotional risks that you take going into this work. And so I think just in, in the eight years that I've been hanging out, uh, um, hanging out in the 911 space, I've seen incredible transformation, but we're still not there. Um, so I think people are talking about it, but has it made it its way into like policy manuals or in planning? I don't think so. Not on a large scale. Yeah. And you know, we so, you know, we we spoke with Tracy Eldridge uh, a few months ago and had her, her here on the podcast. And I mean, what a great representative to your point right. to be able to, to to go out there and talk about, you know, I wore that headset and this is what I battled with. And and she tells her story. Just it, it's a phenomenal story to be able to talk to Tracy. And I love what she's doing. I know that she is, you know, with Rapid SOS now, but she is uh, she's also doing some things out on the social media circuit that says, yep. hey, it's OK to talk about this. And and so I, I definitely respect Tracy for for what she's done and the light that she's brought in. And then, you, you know, you talked about Ricardo. It really is just giving us areas to talk about this and say, hey, it's okay. Um, you know, even on this podcast, you know, we when when we were talking about bringing you on, I was looking at it going, well, you know, we already talked about this once and we need to bring this up. And, and you know what we do. And, that, and that's kind of why we're here today, because I think it's just that important. I know that a lot of my friends uh, that are still in the industry, right? I don't want to say anybody's dismissing it. I, 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 I'll use the word dismiss, but I don't mean it to be like they're just ignoring it. They know it's there, but they're not. I really think that a lot of people just believe that it's just part of the job. I take a, yeah. I take a call um, or, or even our frontline workers. I handle an incident. And you know what? Bad stuff happens to people and this is just my job and I need to suck it up and just get on with the next call. And I really think that that, that, that mentality, to your point, is changing. Um, as people become aware and are able to talk to them. 
Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to remember that if 25% are screening positive, it means 75% are not, you know? And so the fact of the matter is, is that the, the rule is resilience. Um, most folks, and not to say that they're not suffering in some other way, or not to say that they don't, um, they're underreporting symptoms or don't have symptoms, but, you know, it's the, the fact of the matter is, is that, um, resilience is, is the, is the rule. People, um, handle this job really well. I couldn't handle it. <laughs> um, but, you know, 911 is an incredibly robust, resilient population of folks. Um, mm-hmm. but what's also really important to remember is that for those who, um, who do develop symptoms, there's kind of like, well, you just deal with it, you just deal with it, you just deal with it. But the, the problem with that or the kind of misstep in that is that there are very effective treatments for PTSD. It is a treatable condition. Um, and these are time-limited, structured approaches that can help relieve PTSD symptoms. Um, so this kind of belief that, you know, if you do develop PTSD, you're always going to have it and you can't do the job is actually untrue. Um, and so that's part of what I really try to talk to people about also as a licensed clinical psychologist is there are really great effective short-term treatments for PTSD that for most folks will give them symptom relief. Um, so that's, you know, an, an important thing that I'm always kind of beating the drum about. Yeah. And that's, and that's a great, that's just a great news story, right? I mean, it's like, you've got to be able to, to understand one that you could be affected and maybe you're not to your point 75% of 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 the population dispatch population is not affected today uh or at least at the time of that study i think that you know again being in public safety myself um maybe maybe i could put it a different way and say i have yet to have that call that's affected me in that manner or i've yet to have that combination of calls that has affected me in that manner and i think that that's uh you know, it's just important to know that to your point that there is help out there for those that are, and that it's not a, a career ending type of debilitation, if you will. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what would you tell some of the, you know, we talked about how it's not or how it's it doesn't seem to be the norm to be in policy manuals, you know, and I have seen a lot of agencies across the U.S. Uh, that are putting in uh, I won't call them wellness centers, but like quiet rooms, um, you know, the ability to take a to take a call and then just walk away, go into a quiet room and kind of, you know, kind of get get, get back in line, do what you need, breathing exercises, relax, relaxation techniques to kind of get back into uh, where you were prior to that call. I have seen that. But what would you say to some of the administrators, uh, supervisors and and really to get them see that this is a real issue and it's not just part of the job. Well, I think part part of what I've been um, trying to you know put in people's faces a bit is the link between having um, psychopathology or symptoms of psych. You don't even have to meet full criteria for something like PTSD or depression to have it affect you, right? So mm-hmm. we know that symptoms of PTSD are inattention, trouble making decisions, uh, problem with your mood. These all directly affect your performance. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, if we, if we want a um, effective, successful uh, workforce, then we absolutely must prioritize mental health or folks aren't going to be functioning at the level they could be functioning. They're more likely to make mistakes or more likely to have delays in their decision making. Um, and so this is a, it's not just kind of a, an emotional health issue, issue. It's also a performance issue. 
we also know that many individuals with depression or PTSD use alcohol um, or drugs as a form of self-medication mm-hmm. uh, and being um, impaired certainly also will affect performance. And so it's not just a, an emotional health issue. It's, it's truly a, a performance issue um, in addition to the psychological suffering that individuals are are, are going through. Um, so that's like one of the first, if there's kind of like a, well, you know, they can get help outside of more, you know, whatever, there's kind of a dismissive quality to it. It's like, right. you know, you're, you're not valuing your own kind of probably performance indicators. Um, yeah. I, I look back and think about, you know, when I became operations manager, how much time I spent um, yeah, looking for the perfect chair. Uh, for for dispatchers, you know, uh, talking to dispatchers, getting their thoughts on the perfect headset, making, you know, equipment type of stuff to make their to make sure that the team was comfortable to make sure that that my employees had the necessary tools in place to be able to do their job effectively. Um, and, and, and in a long run, in a long term uh, environment. And looking back on that now, if I'd fast forward that same work to today, this needs to also be part of that. Sure, the headsets are important. And yeah, the chair comfort's important. And, and I'm not going to make light of those because that really is a big deal. But to your point, making sure that there are also tools in dealing with the mental health, that's just as important. Absolutely. You know, yeah, absolutely. That ergonomic stuff is very important, right? Because we also know that when people are physically uncomfortable or physically distressed, it also impacts their mental health. Um, and with people are, you know, if they're physically distressed and uncomfortable, it's going to make it harder for them to perform. But, um, you know, that kind of stuff feels more easy to tackle sometimes, I think, for folks than the than the emotional health piece. Well, if there hasn't been if there hasn't been a year in the past, I'd say 2020 is definitely the year. I mean, as we talked about <laughs> earlier, right, this year has been particularly challenging, especially for 911 and public safety. Um, you know, I know everybody immediately thinks covid but but also a lot of the just the the, the political chaos and, and the things that are going on in the different cities, the the, the news headlines and the, the yeah. sensationalism that's occurring, I'll say, within the media, all of those things are affecting 911 and public safety. What, what are your thoughts and some steps maybe that, that we can take to, to kind of get through these current times looking at it from a mental health point of view? Yeah, that's a really, really great question. Um, and it's not, you know, I haven't done a, most, a more recent study um, in 911, um, but I actually did just release a white paper with law enforcement. Um, and we found that 47% um, in a sample of 1,300 law enforcement officers screened positive for PTSD. 47%. And nearly 40% are screened positive for depression. Um, you know, I, I would imagine that that 25% that I've you know, uh, published in 2015 is probably a little bit different right now for for 911 as well, given all the civil unrest, given COVID, given all of the stressors that we're experiencing. Um, and you don't have, I mean, I think law enforcement is probably the, perhaps the most vilified group <laughs> or among yeah. the more vilified groups in the country, but you know, um, it's a family. Um, so it affects 911 and many 911 folks are uh, in relationships or married to or care deeply about uh, law enforcement. And in addition to the fact that now 911 is handling a lot of really distressing, disturbing calls. So yeah, it's um, the mental health impact of 2020 on public safety, I think particularly law enforcement, but again, we just don't have the data for, for 911 as far as I know is, is profound. 
Um, so your question was, you know, what do we do about that? Right. Um, I think, you know, that's a hard question, right? I think a lot of people right now, um, are kind of tapped to the max, um, in addition to the civil unrest and the things that you might be experiencing at home, you might also have little kids at home. Um, I personally have, um, eight-year-old twins who are now home e-learning, uh, and the additional level of kind of stress and responsibility and role strain and task demands has, has changed. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I think, um, I think many people are reaching a point where there's a kind of high level of even kind of numbness and depletion. Um, but mm-hmm. we just keep soldiering on because that's what we have to do. Um, so, you know, what I always say is pick one self-care thing a day. It, it doesn't even need to be lengthy, but do one thing for yourself every day and don't let your self-care goals compete with each other, right? So right now, it's very unrealistic for somebody to think, and I'm just being honest, right? It's unrealistic to be like, I'm going to eat a healthy diet. I'm going to exercise 30 minutes. I'm going to meditate for 10. And then I'm going to blah, 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 right? right? Right now, for most folks, that's 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 just not feasible, um, you know, I'm saying, you know, what I've told people is, um, we all need to think, we all need to like, uh, integrate more grace in our lives. And that's extending grace to other people, because we know that almost everyone is suffering deeply right now. Mm-hmm. So very few people are kind of at the, at their best, but really the, the grace needs to be extended inward, right? Say yep. no, say no to things and say no to things in a way that, um, Say no to things and then don't guilt yourself for it. I think, you know, when you have these groups that are helpers, right? People who save lives, people who do this because they care about people, there ten, tends to be this difficulty with saying no. And no is your friend right now. The word no, I'm sorry, I can't do that right now. And then forgiving yourself for saying no is really important. Yeah. Um, and I think all we need right now is a big heaping dose of grace for others um, and ourselves. Um, and I think, again, that's, that's, that's hard for public safety to have that kind of um, self-compassion kind of directed inwards. Um, and I think right now, too, we just need to really focus on our values. You know, what are what are your values? You know, I, I, I'm a, somebody who loves to advance things and achieve and, you know, build things and spread knowledge. But in the context of COVID, what I've really had to do is step back and what is my number one value? Well, my number one value in life is to spread joy and knowledge. And so right now, achievement, advancement, those things, they're, they're just not my focus, right? And so it's helped me refocus on, for example, um, my children, right? Yep. Um, instead of my kids just being one more kind of thing in the home that I'm trying to manage, it's like, no, no, I got to step back and really focus on my values and live a value-driven life right now. You know, I've asked that question on on to, to several people, uh, a few on this on podcast and a, and a couple just in my in my personal life. You know, what are some things and some steps people can do to get through this? And it's it's always interesting because I think in the back of my head, I'm thinking that someone is going to have this magic potion, this uh, <laughs> th- th- this magic answer that is going to just be like, oh, my God, I can't believe I didn't think about that. But, oh, it, it, it truly does make it all better. But really what what I heard you say and what I've heard everyone else say is just do the one thing just start small 
and 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 I like some of the ways that that you that you brought that up, right? I mean, it's okay to say no. It's okay to just take some time for yourself um and be and be able to do that, right? If if you're into uh if you're into volunteering, go volunteer for a few minutes or you know, for maybe an hour a week and just say, "Hey, I'm going to take my mind completely off of 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 public safety and my day-to-day job." If you're into, you know, if you have children at home and your family at home, it's okay to shut it off. You know, years ago, everybody, we'd all have scanners in our house. It's okay to turn those off and not be 24-7 Mr. or Mrs. Public Safety. Get away yeah. from that and enjoy some of those little moments because that's what that, that seems to be the same uh, thought that everybody says. Just 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 do a little bit, one one thing just for yourself. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, the thing is, you know, in the end, you know, we've got to, the way we're going to get through this is through deep human connection, especially when we're, we're lacking it right now. Um, so finding those opportunities to really connect when they're available. Again, it might be with your kid. It might be with, you know, as essential workers, you guys get to still go out into the world. I know that sounds terrible, right? Because it's like, <laughs> this looks very different, right? Like one of my best friends is, is a cop and it's like, his life as a result of COVID now it's totally different because of the civil unrest, but like pre that when it was just COVID, certainly his, his schedule changed and some of yeah. those procedures changed, but his life didn't change tremendously. He was still going to work. He was still seeing people. He, you know, um, was more out in the world where, and then there's like this other side of society who are not essential workers right. who are just home and isolated and um, not getting the social contact that we we're, we're social creatures, right? right. We're biologically right. social creatures. And so um, it looks different for different people. But in the end, um, I think everyone's just reaching a point of depletion. And so we just need to do one thing, focus on our values. And I also say, get if you find yourself using phrases like, there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to blah, 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 or you know, there's no reason why I can't blah, blah, blah. Those are dangerous statements because they're guilt laden statements. Mm. And I think a lot of folks right now feel like we should just be able to continue on as live life as normal. But the fact of the matter is, is life is not normal right now. Yeah. It is not, it is not business as usual for most people. Um, and so, you know, I was talking to somebody who was home because they were a professor and she said, um, she was just saying like, I don't, I, you know, there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to exercise every day since I'm home. I'm like, you're home with three children and still trying to do That's your right. Of course you can't exercise. What are you talking about? You know, like go for a 10 minute walk and call it a day, you know? So. Yeah. It's the little things, right? Kind of to your point earlier, if you sit down and say, okay, next Monday, I am going to start eating right and exercising 30 minutes and, and, praying for 45 minutes a day and doing yeah. that. I'm making a change. No, come on. Let's, let's no. be real. That's going to last a day, maybe two. I mean, at the end of this, if you change that one thing and you focus on that one thing and you do that, okay, then, then now that becomes part of your norm. Now add another little thing to it. And we've had, yep. we've had past guests say that, right. Just kind of build, have this be a building yep. process. You know, don't, don't try to, don't try to change the whole building in one day. Right. You know, do it a little yeah. piece at a time. So no, that, that's, yeah. I think that's good advice. Well, you know, we talked about, you know, public perception of 911. And, uh, you know, I, I know I, I, I tongue in cheek talked about, you know, William Shatner's show. I actually was watching the other night this this new thing on television called Emergency Call. Um, 
and and I can be honest with you, I've just seen a couple, two or three of the the first episodes, but I thought they're doing a good job. And my thought while watching it wasn't just, oh, this is great because I get to hear, you know, watch 911 people in action, but it's actually showing the real aspects of the job uh, in in. I don't know when it was a week or two ago, they actually had a, a a missing child where a dispatcher was on the phone and the, the emotional toll that that one call took on her, you could just tell. And I, I kind of, I, I tied that back to past conversations and was thinking about this conversation when I was watching it, thinking this is good for public perception to be able to see, you know, it's not just a person on the other end of the phone saying, you know, what's your address? What's your name? Okay, what's your problem? Right. They're not rolling their eyes. They're not, you know, they're not doing a crossword puzzle and you're bugging them. These <laughs> people are emotionally into your call for those few moments that you're on the call with them. And to me, that's a great step just in a public view of people really understanding this, uh, uh, understanding this a little more. Now, that's a long, that's a long opening to kind of ask you a question where do you see the future of 911 going right is maybe people are getting educated internally about the mental health uh aspects and maybe the public's getting a little more educated about what the the 911 deals with where do you kind of see the future of 911 going in this regard oh that's a great question um you know, I do see, you know, I think especially, you know, Nina, like kudos to Nina for their wellness continuum and all the work that they're doing and rewriting the stress standards. I was in, involved in some of that this summer, uh, rewriting um, aspects of 911 work that contribute to kind of stress and health problems. Um, and so really putting in really just tremendous effort. Um, I think as we continue to talk about PTSD, as people continue, and not, it's not just PTSD, because some people develop PTSD, but some some won't, but it doesn't mean they're not suffering. They might experience things like depression or anxiety. Um, and so I think the more that we talk about these issues, the more that we continue to train is important. There's um, efforts made to develop peer support networks, um, uh, formal and informal programming within agencies. I think peer support has a huge um, peer support could be huge because I'll tell you mm -hmm. as a clinical psychologist that has a telebehavioral health practice, you would think that my phone would be ringing off the hook right now, but it, but it's not. And I think partly because people are so <laughs> depleted that they don't want to go to therapy right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. and they don't have time. Um, but you know, what I will tell you is it's really hard to get public safety to seek out professional services. It just is. There's still that stigma. I think that will change over time. But in the interim, especially, um, I think there is a lot of legs under peer support, and I think it can have a really profound impact. So, um, so I see personally this improving over time. I think one of the biggest things that has changed and will continue to change is acknowledgement. Um, and if people can just say, man, that call really bothered me, that actually in and of itself can have a profound effect. Because then the person's not suppressing and avoiding. And we know that suppression and avoidance are really bad coping strategies because long term, it actually prolongs the stress. It doesn't allow your body to kind of naturally process things. So I think just getting people to the point where either to themselves or with a peer can say, man, that call really sucked and it really drained me and I just need some space is huge. And that in and of itself is huge. So I do see these things getting better. And I do see there being more education among the public. However, I don't know if that's really tr translated to the number of 
kind of crap calls that 911 deals with where people call and ask for the time or they call and ask for like a ride or pizza or like whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that that has translated into anything uh, beneficial quite yeah. yet, but I do think that um, I see, and I didn't see this, you know, 10 years ago when I started doing this work, I see more and more kind of public safety announcement type things of like, this is when you call 911. And so I think that hopefully that will continue to change. Yeah, it could be that, you know, we've spent a lot of time in the 911 community educating the public on proper 911 usage, right? And and yeah. just, you know, when to call. Um, you know, I laugh because I still think that there's this older generation that that I, I don't care what limb is severed, they're still gonna not call 911. They're gonna take you to the hospital or 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 call their seven digit number to their doctor. Right. I mean, you know, th- so so we've taken a lot of time and effort to try to educate people on the proper use of 911. You know, there could be a whole a whole nother campaign. And I think to your point, Nina is helping with this and maybe the APCOs of the world that says we need to educate the public on, on some of the importance of, of, of what this job is and, and kind of in what they're dealing with. I don't know if we'll ever get to where we could say, yep, everybody is compassionate and has empathy when they call 911. I mean, at the end of the day, they're still dealing with the worst thing that's ever happened to them, at least right. in that moment of time. Um, so it's, um, you know, it's always going to be difficult for for people to be calling nine one one. I don't I don't ever see anyone you know calling nine one one and thanking the dispatcher and then giving them the pre- the fact that someone's having a heart attack in the other room. But right. I think that I think right. that just educating and, and just getting it out there might be something nine one one centers could do during their their um you know their their public day right and it is they're bringing right. people in and educating them on all the other aspects it seems like this is just another part of the process that i think that we just need to let people be aware of that that what's going on out there and you talked about supporting each other so i'll i'll just drill into that here before we go but you know i know that when i was part of my crew we became a family we worked 12 hour shifts so i was with my crew sometimes more than I was with my family uh, during the week times. And, you know, I think that that's important for us to just talk about here is just to focus on that a little bit, because I really think that we have a responsibility to take care of each other. And when when we see some when we see someone struggling, uh, I'll go to that TSA line. If you see something, say something. Right. And I don't think it has to be real confrontational, but I think it could just be you know, hey, how you doing? Or or you're standing out front and you're having a cup of coffee and you doing okay? You know, that, you know, you seem like you were a little upset after that call. I mean, is there responsibility, I guess, on all of us to kind of take care of each other? Absolutely, because this is a team. I mean, and and it is your <laughs> it is your work family. And you know, every family's got nuts and they've got like the, you know, angry person <laughs> and a <the laughs> nutty cousin, right? But it is the, the, the onus is on us. Um, and I say us, even though I'm not in public safety, but I, I feel like I'm an honorary public safety person. But the onus is on us to take, yeah, absolutely take care of each other. And it, you don't need to go and, you know, guns blazing, like, how are you? And I notice that you're upset uh, because we know that, um, especially for people who are withdrawn, uh, just talking, like just putting words out of your mouth, lights up areas of your brain that become underactive when you're, yeah. for example, depressed. And so a lot of it is just getting people to continue to engage. 
Um, and yeah, giving them the opportunity to say, man, you know, I handled a call yesterday that just really was terrible. Um, and they might, they might say that or they might not, but, you know, just being there for folks and knowing that, you know, there's, you know, receptive folks who aren't going to jeopardize their confidentiality. There's now, you know, in these formalized peer support programs, there are very strict kind of rules. If you're going to be a peer mentor about not taking notes, not writing down names, and you right. have to maintain confidentiality. Otherwise, it sinks, right? Because then yep. no one's going to say anything if there are repercussions for talking. And so uh, I think, yeah, the, the onus is on is on the industry to take care of each other because, and I know this is going to sound maybe like a depressing end of what I'm saying, but no one else is going to, right? Organizations right. don't love you. They don't, like they, they can't, right? It's an organization. And at the end of the day, an organization is not just balancing care for their employees, but they're managing dollars, right? They're making yeah. business decisions. And so um, even if you work for a great organization, that organization can still sometimes fail you, right? Um, but your, hopefully your coworkers won't. Yeah, I like that because I think you're right. I don't think that that's negative. I think at the end of the day, whether it's a government entity or a private entity, it it it, it it's a business on some level, and it, it you know that is that has budgeting concerns. And to your point, you know, it really is kind of a grassroots effort, right? We need to take care of of each other. We need to be looking out for each other. And um and I and I like some of the things that you brought up there, right? Let's just let's just talk about it. Let's just have conversation and. I think the last thing I would say is this is this came, I think, from Tracy when she was on, you know, if you're going from a hot call out into the break room to look at your phone and now you start scrolling through the news or now you start scrolling through social media and that's what you're calling a break. (laughs) Oh, my God. Shut that off, because that's probably going to just keep dumping a lot of that kind of hit to your brain. And I I just like what you said. Right. Let's just go out and just have a conversation and let's be let's be compassionate. We don't have to be a professional psychologist to, to, to have us sit down with somebody. We can just sit there and just give someone an ear to talk to. And I think that's important. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Michelle, it has been great to talk to you. Uh, this is this has been good. I know you said that uh, that you're not in public safety, but I I would I would disagree. I think that <laughs> that for sure you are doing some great things for public safety and and just getting out there and just letting us know that it's okay to talk about this and it's okay to focus on this. I mean, that is a that 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 is a very important aspect of uh, of nine one one police, fire, EMS, and just all of public safety, and just making sure that we're not out there by ourselves, and uh, that we know that we got support. So, I just wanted to once again just thank you for being our guest here today. And to hear additional episodes or learn more, visit us at hxgnspotlight.com. And thanks for tuning in. 